This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman. I'm your host for another podcast session. My guest today, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from as he talks a lot about human-centric workplaces, among many other different experiences that he has. And I'd like to welcome Eric Isle to the podcast. Eric, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's uh, great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, so I'm Eric Isle, and uh, I, I like to say that I am a business philosopher. Um, and, uh, and you know, my, my job all day is to think about how to make work more than just another four-letter word and, uh, and how to make work and business more human. Thanks, Eric. I think we've got enough content right there between business philosopher and work as a four-letter word to last us a couple of sessions, but that's a great way to kick us off. So, Eric, with every one of my podcasts, I ask my guests the same question to start us off, and that is, so what, how did you get to be what you're doing today? How, what was your career path? How did you end up where you're at today with what we're going to be talking about? Because it's a fascinating subject. So I always like to hear our guests talk about how they arrived here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. And I always like to talk about myself. Um, so. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't, right? Right. Um, but but no, I mean, I think I think like a lot of folks who are in uh, guests you've had on your podcast, um, it's been a circuitous route. It has not been a direct path. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I think for me, I never imagined working in corporate um, as a as a person growing up or even as a young adult. Uh, but I kind of stumbled into working for the General Electric Company um, in the in the early 90s and. Uh, at that point, that was when GE was all about Six Sigma. It was you know, the Jack Welch years into the into the Jeff Immelt years, um, and uh, and so I I got I got sort of excited about uh, just learning, um, which has always been kind of one of my missions is just to learn things. And so at GE, I got to learn about a lot of things, and Six Sigma was one of those things. Um, and through Six Sigma, you know, I got to learn all of this sort of data uh, data centric. Uh, business process improvement. But along the way, what I what I discovered was at the end of the day, business is nothing more or less than humans serving humans. Um, and, uh, and so as much as I could do all this data work and all the Six Sigma stuff, at the end of the day, what mattered was, was how are humans serving humans. Um, and so that took me down the path of working in things like change management, employee engagement, employee communications. Uh, workplace culture, customer experience, uh, all things related to humans. And I've gotten to, to work in 
I uh, said for GE, but also in telecom. I worked in consumer packaged goods. Uh, I worked with utilities. So I've gotten to see uh, how kind of the human centric work plays out in, in multiple different industries. And that's kind of led me to where I am today. That's great. A, a side question, Eric, were you at GE during, did they call them the workouts? The GE yeah. workouts? Yes. Yeah. 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 Just those were, those were kind of on the way out as Six Sigma was ascendant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know enough to share about, I guess, what a workout is now that I brought it up? I guess <laughs> no. might be curious about it. Okay, good. <laughs> I've, I've forgotten more about it than I, than I remember. That's good. That's good. Uh, so I guess you can look that up. They were, uh, as Eric said, they were popular, but then uh, Six Sigma replaced them. So the, the reason I, I asked Eric to join my podcast is as we emerge from the pandemic and I want to be uh, or acknowledge that there are many areas of the world that are still uh, steeped in the, in the pandemic and suffering greatly from it. But as we look at uh, the U.S. emerging um, from the pandemic, what we're hearing is a lot of companies debating hybrid work environments and 100% virtual work environments or come back into the office and all kinds of different consternations about what to do now. We sent everybody home overnight, but now we don't know whether to bring them back or not. And so when I when I heard and read uh, about what Eric is, is suggesting and talking about, I just think it's so timely. So Eric, kind of bring our listeners up to date on what your view is and what's happening right now in this whole world uh, in organizations about what are they going to do with their employees and mm-hmm. hybrid models and all that. What are you seeing and, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great question, Bob. And, and I, and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing what you're seeing, right. Which is, which is a, a whole lot of noise and a whole lot of confusion Um and I, and I think what's I think what's so interesting is you know back in back in March of 2020 there was only one path, the the the, the one path was okay everybody's working from home, um, that is the only safe approach. Um, to be clear, uh, in the privileged kind of work that you and I do, right? Um, there were plenty of folks who still had to go to work every day, uh, but and had to go out in the world and and risk their lives, but. Uh, for, for folks like you and me, there was one path, and it was it was go. In my case, work in your basement, and uh, and and now the paths forward are not nearly as clear, right? We we have we have we have far more than one path forward, and and what I find really interesting is you know at this at the same time that this is happening, uh, you know we're also having really uh, overdue conversations about equity and justice in the workplace, right, um, and in and in the world at large. And uh, and so what we have in, what we have in front of us is this opportunity to kind of address the whole the whole human experience of work essentially, um, and it's not about are you fully remote, are you fully in the office, are you hybrid? It's not about that. It's it, it becomes more about individual humans trying to self actualize and get their needs met. Um, and so, and so I, I think what's really interesting is I see, you know, I see a lot of senior leaders who are making decisions based on what they're comfortable with. Um, so for example, there've been some really high profile folks who are saying, we are getting everybody back into the, into our office as soon as possible, because that's when we do our best work. And, uh, you know, I think that that's true for them, but it's probably not true for their entire workforce. Um, and it probably doesn't actually represent, um, 
a data-based uh, approach to this at all. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and when I when I see folks saying, you know, we're 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 ending remote and we're coming back into the office, I see a sort of kicking and screaming that's happening, a resistance to change happening, um, which which is you know the change is has happened. Uh, there are you know there are there is great research. PwC put out great research recently, you know, and it said uh, employees who aren't going to get who aren't given options are going to leave. They're not going to stick around. Um, and 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 that's not because people are entitled. It's not because people people uh, you know are feeling spoiled by working from home. It's because they've clarified what's important to them over this past year and a half. Um, and so and so I think the organizations that are responding to this really intelligently are those that are listening to employees. Uh, number one, um, just as with customer experience, it starts with listening to customers. With employees, it starts with listening. And I think that the smart organizations are listening to employees, figuring out what their needs are, figuring out what employees need to be successful, figuring out what barriers employees are encountering, and then figuring out the right work arrangement that's going to that's gonna help with that. Um, so I think it's just, it looks different for, for every individual. You know, we're, we're seeing younger folks who really want to get back to an office because they want those opportunities to network. They want opportunities for mentorship. Um, and organizations don't know how to do that uh, online very well yet. I think organizations can figure that out. Uh, I, I believe that we can. Um, but and, you, and then you have folks who are older in their, you know, are more senior in their careers who are saying, I'm fine working from home for as long as I can, um, which is tough because then those younger employees who are going to the office for mentorship are finding that their mentors aren't even there. Right? <laughs> so, um, so, so it's, so it's complicated. And I, and I think, I think the, the beautiful thing is that um, it, it will be and always has been a hybrid experience. And I think, I think it's the, the, the kicking and screaming and resisting change is not the path forward. The path forward is figuring out, well, gosh, mentorship doesn't work very well, except in the office, for example. Well, let's figure out how to make mentorship work in an online environment. We can do it. So um, that's where I see things that are, that are really exciting. Um, you know, I see organizations saying things like, how can we keep employees motivated and engaged? And I feel like that too is the wrong mindset. <laughs> Uh, because it's because it's talking about how do we make employees do stuff versus how how are we going out and listening to employees and finding out what they need. Mm -hmm. Eric, fascinating comments. You you mentioned kind of two situations where we we always seem to go. I don't know if it's the easy fix or we fix the you know we fix the wrong problem. Uh, and so you mentioned that this whole concept of you know, whether we go back to work or not, it seems like we're, we're, we're trying to solve the wrong problem uh, and not getting to root cause. And you just mentioned the one about employees and, and you know, we're, we're trying to solve the wrong problem by, by, you know, telling them what to do as opposed to creating the experience. What, what do you think in your opinion and experiences is why do we, why can't we go to root cause? I mean, it's a core problem within customer experience mm -hmm. in that we don't, we, you know, we think that a voice to the customer program or a journey map will, will solve all of our problems when reality is we don't know what the problems are to begin with. Right. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think we, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to beat anybody up about it. And I don't want to beat myself up about it, but I do think that, um, you know, we know, and this is one of the, one of the fundamental principles that, that Bruce Temkin taught us years ago, right. Is that, is that people are inherently self-centered, right. Um, and, mm -hmm. And, and that is true. Um, 
And so, and so I think, I think organizations so often are so focused on the organization's needs that they forget that the organization comprises individual humans. So, uh, I, I think, I think we end up getting into this position of, of how do we make people do things? Um, you know, one of the things that I did, uh, growing up in my career was change management and unfortunately the subtext of a lot of change management is how do we make people do stuff they don't want to do right right um and i and i think and i think that's where we i think that's where organizations kind of default so often is is how do we make people do stuff and i think there's there's greater opportunity there's greater potential there's greater possibility uh in saying in saying what are people trying to accomplish um you know, most of us as individual humans are trying to live our best lives. We're trying to self-actualize. We're trying to make our greatest contribution we can make. Um, whether that's whether that's in our role as customer or in our role as employee, that's what we're trying to do. And I think I think for organizations, we have such a you know so, sort of a 19th century industrial mechanistic view of you know pull this lever, get this outcome uh, that we that we lose sight of that complexity of those human needs. And so I think, I think it's, it, it goes to some really well-built muscles, um, around, around kind of that, that pull the lever, get the outcome mindset, that mechanistic approach, um, that are just overdeveloped, frankly, um, and where, where we need to start, uh, investing some more in developing those muscles that are, that are about empathy. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Uh, listeners, as a reminder, you're listening to my guest, Eric Isle, talk about human centricity and, and its impact on, on the workplace. Some great, uh, great thoughts already from Eric. Eric, you mentioned change management, and I'd like to just explore that a little bit more with you in terms of this is something else we find in, in the CX, uh, as CX practitioners and professionals, is that we don't always pay enough attention to change management. So to your point, we tell people, you know, this is what you've got to start doing, but we really don't look at the behaviors behind that and what has to change everything from who we're hiring, excuse me, the profile of who we're hiring to um, the day-to-day -day, uh, career development, your mentoring ship you talked about. Uh, how do you incorporate that change management into, into an initiative where you're trying to make significant change? Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think that's that's such a great question because I think for most organizations, customer experience itself is a significant change, um, and, and I think and I think a lot of CX pros kind of run up against that and say, oh gosh, I'm creating change. Oh no, how do I do this? Um, and the def and the default modes I think um, are are three basic things, right? So the so the default mode is either we tell people what to do, uh, we bribe them, right? We have incentive programs. Um, or we, uh, we train them, right? We, 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 we focus on training, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I look at this. So one of my, one of my first, uh, sort of challenges related to this was I was working in a, in a telecom company and it was business to business situation, very complex billing, and they had just terrible customer satisfaction scores. And, uh, the management came in and just sort of yelled at all the customer service reps and said, Make our customers more satisfied, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is which is pretty typical. Um, and then they came to me and, and sort of knowing my background, and they said, Eric, we want you to travel around to our different call centers, and we want you to to train these people in customer service skills. 
um, right? And th and th that's that's pretty standard approach. And and I said okay, but I had been working with these people. I sat in the room in these in these call centers, and I knew that they weren't lacking customer service skills. I knew that that was not it. Um, so what I did is I traveled around and I asked people what they thought good customer service was, what they needed in order to deliver it, and what was getting in their way. Um, and so starting with those three questions, what is it, what do you need, what's getting in your way? A lot of, a lot of times these, these folks said to me, I've never been asked these questions before. I've only been told what to do, <laughs> right? Um, and, so, and so this is what I mean by starting with that listening. Um, so, for, so for me, it was you know the the beginning of the of the of change management is that is that listening. It's that empathy piece. It's really uh, listening to understand the experience of the folks who you want to change, um, and and then we then we can move forward into uh, involving them. This is this is a, this is another piece that I think is absolutely critical, which is actually involving. Uh, our fellow humans in creating the solutions to the problems or creating the new world we're trying to create. Uh, so we so we empathize, we then encourage them to get involved. Then we can focus on on educating. And, and when I say educating, I don't mean training. Uh, really, what I mean is, is let's all get aligned. Let's have a dialogic process where we can all align on uh, what's most important right now, why is it important, and what is my role in that. Um, and so that's that that's that third step, I think, in, in managing this change is is really getting getting that alignment on why are we here. Then we can move on to enabling and empowering folks. So enabling, let's make sure that folks have the the tools, the skills, the resources that they need to do what we're asking them to do. Um, so often I talk to, to organizations who talk about they want to raise the bar. You've heard this a ton, right, Bob? Like right. <laughs> we want to raise the bar on performance. And I say that's great, but you should also raise the floor. Um, ah, you, I like that. And you raise the floor by giving people the, the tools and the skills and the resources they need, right? right. Um, and and the, and so so that's enabling. Then we move on to empowering, which is as often as not is about removing roadblocks. It's about addressing unintended consequences of policies and processes. Uh, so we see this all the time. Like again, I'll go back to a call center environment um, where we see you know a company says to its employees. Uh, we want you to do whatever it takes to to solve a customer's problem, uh, but then on the backside of that, they say, "But we want to you, know, you keep your calls to three minutes and fifty two seconds, mm -hmm. um, or you're only approved to give a credit of up to twenty five dollars, right?" And then you got to go to a supervisor. Um, these are the kinds of things that are in place, and they got in place for good reasons, but then they end up standing in the way of what we say we want to accomplish. So, uh, so that empowerment is a big piece of, of managing that change, uh, and then the, and then the last piece of that. Um, is, is embracing the attitudes, the mindsets, and the behaviors that you want to see. Um, so recognition becomes a big piece of this. And this is not, again, this is not about carrots and sticks, but this is just about noticing uh, when, when folks are exhibiting the attitudes, the mindsets, the behaviors that, that you want to see more of, noticing that in ways that are specific and personal. Um, so that's kind of my, like, that's my six part way of looking at that change. Um, and, and for, and for me, I, I feel like, you know, that's, that's not just about managing a change. That's really about creating a, a really a human centric workplace, uh, so so that folks feel like they're actually a part of it and not that they're being manipulated into doing something. I I can so relate to your contact center examples. I I um, 
whether I work for an organization or I consult for an organization, the first place I go is to their customer service frontline people and listen, listen to calls or listen to their interactions because they have a lot of times more knowledge about the processes and policies of an organization than anybody in an organization because they're dealing with it day in and day out. And I can remember having a personnel survey taken those wonderful instruments of feedback. And <laughs> you can tell I'm not a personnel survey fee, uh, yeah. uh, advocate, but, um, and um, I was running the contact center and the survey came back and it said that the question was, are we a customer centered organization? And everybody else gave us, you know, scores in the nineties out of a hundred and my department gave us a 40 or something. Mm. And the CEO called me up and he said, what's wrong? What, you know, do we have a leadership problem down there? I said, well, I hope not because I'll be out the door. But <laughs> I said, here's the deal. They see all of our blemishes, right? They see mm. what we try to do that doesn't work. And so they don't view us as customer centered. And uh, it just, uh, your, your comments and examples are so true. And, and there's st we, we still see this happening today. Fix customer service and you fix the customer experience. And that just isn't, isn't always the case. Not the customer service is is free from its own problems, but, but certainly it can't be the be all solve all. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely true. Well, and, and you know, the, the, the cliche I'm heard, I'm sure you've heard before, which is that customer service picks up where customer experience fails. Right. Right. Um, uh, that's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a key moment of truth that those contact center interactions, uh, but they're usually indicative of, of other problems. I'm curious, Bob, can I ask you a question? Um, oh, the uh, guest is turning the tables on the host. This is good. I love this. This is a first, Eric. Go right ahead. All right. Uh, well, I, I, I wanted to dig into a little bit of your, of uh, especially because we were just talking about employee listening. I wanted to dig into your uh, your skepticism about uh, about personnel surveys, as you said. Ah, sure. So here's my experience about personnel surveys. They're, they're issued by the HR department, of course. Um, you, you spend uh, a month encouraging your employees to fill out the survey. It takes several months for the survey to be completed and compiled. Then it takes a few months for the executives to see the results. Then it's disseminated in the organization. And then there's task teams formed to address all the problems found in the personnel survey. And then those teams go to work for several months. So now we're probably a year after the survey has been issued and it's time to issue another personnel survey. Yep. So the second survey comes out and it doesn't show any improvement because, well, we just started improving, uh, we just started implementing the improvements of the last personnel survey. And so it became this vicious cycle for us where it was almost a burden mm -hmm. that, you know, going through the data as opposed to let's just listen to our employees look for some quick wins that really make an impact and gain momentum. And we can do a lot more um, than the personnel surveys give us the, the opportunity to do. So that's my quick synopsis of my attitude with personnel surveys. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank, thank you for, thank you for indulging me on that. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you completely. I think, I think uh, surveys often start off with the best of intentions, uh, but they don't end up being actual listening instruments. Um, and that, that's true of customer surveys as well, <laughs> um, uh, right? They end up being absolutely. They, they they end up being a dashboard metric, is what right. is what they end up being, right? Right. Our 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 employee 
approval rating is X or our, you know, whatever, whatever we call it employee engagement, which it's not, but uh, we call it employee satisfaction, whatever those things are, and becomes a dashboard metric, but it's not necessarily something that we're actually listening and looking for, uh, for empathy, really, right? Are we, are we really looking to understand the, the employees or are we looking to change the employees? Right. Well, to uh, your earlier point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, I, and I love that. I love, I love the fact that you call it a dashboard metric because my experience, again, has usually been that the board says to the CEO, so how the, how's the employee engagement? And the CEO doesn't have a clue, so she says, we got to do a personnel survey right away, right? <laughs> and and, and it's, you know, I mean, heck, Eric, we've lost all our HR listeners. Now let's go for our NPS advocates because NPS <laughs> is the same way, right? We have to have a dashboard metric to show how we're doing. And we produce mounds of data to support our NPS score, and then we don't do anything with the data. And and my approach has always been stop issuing a report one day and see how many calls you get to have the report. And where's my report? And you'll know the value of the report in the organization. So uh, your your points are well taken about a dashboard metric. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric, so a couple of final questions for you. uh, How do I know if I'm working in a human-centered organization or, or uh, how do I help my organization become more human-centered? Any mm. thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I, think, I think how do you, how do you know uh, is difficult. I, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I feel like the, uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling on on pornography, you know it when you see it, right? Um, mm. But, but uh, I was just going to say, you know, when you feel it, maybe, right? In, there, in there, there's certainly there's certainly that. But 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 here's the but here's the other thing I, I will say is that a human centric organization doesn't mean it's freaking paradise every day. That's not what it means, right? Mm. And I think it's I think it's so like you know I I'm I'm in a world where where organizations are always looking at you know the great places to work results or whatever the rankings of of you know companies and the best places to work and the fact is even the best places to work are are often messy right um and and they aren't perfect uh but but what they're doing i I think i think number one is do you feel listened to in the organization um do you feel listened to do you feel equipped do you feel empowered um and and the answer to those to those questions is probably going to be well sometimes <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right for for most of us and and the you know the, the question to me is is the organization interested in moving in that direction in moving in, in the direction of being more human centric or is it not and so to, and so i think that sort of leads to your second question which is what can what can anyone do to influence that mm-hmm. um you know and and i think you know i think for you know probably a lot of a lot of your listeners are probably in the middle management layer of an organization somewhere um, as well as executive leaders, and I think you know the, those folks in those in those roles have an enormous amount of influence, even when they feel like they don't. Um, and I think you know if you're if you're leading a team, you start with your team. You start with you know those those six uh, steps that I mentioned of empathizing, encouraging, educating, enabling, empowering, and embracing. You can start doing that with your team. Uh, but you can also st- start that even if you're uh, an individual working in an organization and you're not leading a team, you can start to exhibit those behaviors and those mindsets uh, in, within your team and start to encourage that 
among your peers. So, uh, so, so for me, you know, the the story that I tell of of going out and and listening to employees in that telecom company, uh, I wasn't in any position of of power, but I was in a position of influence, uh, and I, I was in a position where where I could go out and and be a conduit. And I think that's that's a, a role that's really valuable in organizations um, is being a conduit, being a being someone who makes sure that that communication is flowing both upward and downward uh, because in, because in most big organizations uh, downward communication gets fractured and fragmented right um, as it as it falls through the organization and then upward communication gets filtered typically um, and so senior leaders don't know what's going on they're not connected to what the the folks who are who are uh, you know talking to customers are, are working on so I think uh, one of the key roles that a person can play is being that conduit, being that person who's who's helping folks uh, get their voices heard in both directions. That's that's really uh, great guidance to share with our listeners, Eric. And I think it's so so pertinent to what um, where we're at today, both on the employee and the customer experience uh, situations. Uh, Eric, one final question uh, that I always ask my guests, any final words of advice um, that you want to share with our listeners, something we may not have covered uh, that you want to get across or uh, any guidance you can provide to them? Uh, here's your open mic opportunity, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. And, 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 and I got to say, I, I have become uh, increasingly skeptical of any time when I present myself as an expert on anything, um, but, <laughs> but but I but 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 you know I do spend a lot of time thinking about this. As I said, I I, you know, I do consider myself a business philosopher in that I really do spend a lot of time thinking through these things. And and I think um, I think if anything that I would leave folks with, it would be you know that business that as I said before, business is nothing more or less than humans serving humans. Um, and I think, and I think, if we if we can scrap the idea of employees and customers for a second, um, and just focus in on the on humans who are trying to self actualize and who are trying to contribute, um, and 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 be their best version of themselves, um, that if we that if we start there, then we're we're likely to head in a more constructive direction. Those are outstanding uh, final words of advice. Eric, and this this whole concept of humans are humans, and we need to start viewing it that way. Uh, I just uh, really am inspired by that uh, by that approach. So, uh, thank you, Eric, for your time today. And listeners, you've been listening to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your network, and of course, stay tuned for more podcast sessions on great topics related to customer experience. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.